Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 211. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail. Made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of pac-man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the hanna-barbera animation studios the history of the video game Pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-offs, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980 series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. The revised second edition of my Monkey's Book with Michael A. Ventrella called Long Title, the stars of Walt Disney Productions, and the Pac-Man, the first animated TV show based upon a video game, are my latest books out now. I just turned in my manuscript for Unconditionally Mad, and the Turtles book is in production. I'm also working on my TV Cartoons at Time Forgot book, plus articles on Nightmare the Galloping Ghost and Harvey Superheroes. On today's show, we have an artist who worked on such magazines as Crazy, Dynamite, Bananas, and Mad, 
He eventually became Mads Art Director for 19 years. Here he is, Sam Viviano. Hi, this is Mark Arnold uh, with another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And today I have a special guest who worked on such magazines as Bananas and Dynamite and, of course, Mad Magazine. And here he is, Sam Viviano. How are you? I am very fine, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, (laughs) So I've pretty much... Well, I've interviewed you before a long time ago, but uh, I pretty much have grown up with you. I'll say that. I'm sure other people have said that, too. <laughs> um, probably saw your work first in the Scholastic magazines, Dynamite and Bananas and things like that. And you're probably like second to BK Taylor as far as like top artists that they had on those publications back then that I was like, all right, I like this guy. <laughs> Maybe Samuel Whitehead was another one, you know. <laughs> you know, interesting. All three of us are originally from Detroit. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. And Bob Taylor still lives in in Detroit. I live in New York. I'm not sure where Sam Whitehead is these days. I haven't uh, been a long time since I was in touch with him. Mm. But we're all from Detroit. Interesting. I mean, I guess I kind of knew that. I did interview BK Taylor for this podcast quite a while ago, and we talked about everything. I was actually kind of, he had a new book at the time, uh, and he, it was about his material he did for National Lampoon, of all things, you know. And, but we talked about home improvement, his work for the Muppets, and everything like that. So get ready. Dr. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> Dr. T, that's right. Um, Bob's a really good guy. He, uh, I'm- very happy that it, we're friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that interview a lot. Um, so uh, I guess, you know, I that's where I started about you. But uh, where did you start? And you said Detroit. But I mean, how did you get your start in art and your schooling and everything like that? Well, uh, once upon a time, I used to very proudly say I've been drawing since I was three years old. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I realized everybody draws when they're three years old. It, <laughs> it, and that's one of the wonderful things about childhood. No inhibitions. No saying, I can't do this. You just, you have an urge to draw, you draw. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Now, in my case, I had um, a, a great incentive because my dad um, drew as well. He was not a, a professional and that was due more to the circumstances of his origins as anything else. He grew up in an immigrant Sicilian family in Detroit. Um, he, drawing cartoons was not encouraged by his, his folks. And my grandfather wanted him to come and work at the produce market with him. Um, he wasn't happy. He basically, as soon as he graduated from high school, he joined the Navy and he was uh, in the Navy throughout World War II and got married while he was in the Navy. So when he came home, he couldn't devote himself to the difficult work of establishing yourself as an artist. Mm-hmm. He had to raise a family, so he had to get a job. He ended up working for his father in the produce market. And and then uh, when, when that business fell apart in the 60s, he worked for 20 years in a supermarket uh, warehouse. But no matter where he lived, he always had a studio. Uh, He would commandeer a a spare bedroom or go 
build a, a studio in the basement. And when I was small, he was still essentially drawing cartoon figures, sometimes characters from the newspaper like Jigs and Maggie and, and uh, Popeye. Uh, and the things that fascinated me the most were uh, when he was a teenager, he started drawing, filling sketchbooks with the stories of Soldier of Fortune, Jerry Burt, uh, uh, commissioned by some rich guy to go find the lost city of Africa. Uh, now, you got to realize this guy, I think he was like 16 at the time and uh, when, when he first started doing this. And he was in a play. He was on the same age as most of the guys who started comics were. You know, he was born in 1919. Uh, so, you know, all those guys were born in the late teens, early 20s. Right. Uh, the difference was they were in New York. They ultimately, like a lot of them, ended up going to high school of music and art. Um, and there was such a need in the early 40s, particularly late 30s and early 40s for material that they were taking all these teenagers and they were learning on the job. Mm -hmm. My dad working out of his bedroom in Detroit didn't have any of that. There was no community. And uh, uh, it, it's amazing because in some ways he actually independently kind of invented the graphic novel because he was writing these books. They weren't newspaper strips. They weren't comic strips. And, and it was, you know, around the same time the comic books were originating, but they were these full stories. Now they were very involved and he never actually finished a story, but they were pretty impressive. Uh, and so he was still doing that kind of thing. Later on, he got into painting and he learned, he shared a studio with a, a painter and learned to paint, did portrait paintings. But I was always taken by the cartoon drawings. Uh, he did a little book of a Popeye adventure he wrote. Um, and um, so I was as much inspired by my dad as anything else. Um, I was also inspired, I mentioned Popeye, Popeye cartoons, which started being shown on television when I was about three years old. And I loved them. And I would draw Popeye. I would make up Popeye stories and my mom would write the dialogue in for me. Uh, so drawing was something I did. And as I said, when you're three, four, five years old, everybody draws. The difference was that when other kids started playing baseball or football or hockey or girls, I was still inside drawing. Still drawing. <laughs> uh, now, here's the thing. None of those kids, as far as I know, grew up to be professional ball players. Mm -hmm. But I grew up to be a professional drawer. So I, I don't think my time was that badly spent. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just had a Catholic uh, grade school and high school education in Detroit. Um particularly my high school, good uh, educational uh, uh, college prep background, went to the University of Michigan. And because all of the uh, suggestions I was given by everybody was don't, don't restrict yourself to art, 
you know, you need a broader uh, uh, range. So I, I went to the School of Literature, Science and the Arts. You know, they, uh, uh, and I, I'm taking great books and algebra, not algebra, calculus and uh, astronomy and history. And about two months in, I said, what am I doing? I want to draw. Now, in those days at the University of Michigan, you couldn't transfer into the art school midway in your freshman year. So I had to wait till I was a sophomore. And so I spent the next three years in art school, except it wasn't what I was interested in. You know, it was a kind of relatively old fashioned Midwestern large university art school. Uh, they were teaching drawing and painting and printmaking. And I dutifully took all those classes, but they didn't certainly didn't have cartooning. They didn't have illustration. They didn't, they didn't have anything that really re related to what I wanted to do. So I actually uh, ended up doing a lot of work, doing posters and booklets for university uh, departments and, and theater groups so that's where I really got my experience in doing print work. And uh, when I graduated at uh, 1975, really the only thing I wanted to do was come to New York and look for work. Mm. I wanted to be an illustrator. Mm. Um, and I did. <laughs> did you, at that point, did you have a particular goal in mind? Uh, uh, like, were you looking to do humor type magazines or are you looking for anything? Well, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, uh, middle school and, and most of, you know, at least part of high school, I wanted to be a comic book artist. Uh, you know, I'd grown up after Popeye and got into comic books and in, in, in the late fifties and early sixties, you know, that was a very broad range because you had the superhero comics, but you also had Archie and you had Harvey and you had all the Disney comics and, and I had them all. I read them all. I loved them all. Uh, and you know, as I got older, I got more interested in the superhero stuff. And, and my hero in those days was Carmine Infantino. Uh, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And in fact, when I was 15, I made my first trip to New York, stayed with relatives in Brooklyn. And all I really wanted to do was go to uh, the D.C. offices in Manhattan <laughs> and, and see how the sausage was made. Right. And I did. Uh -huh. I met my hero, Carmine Infantino, who was at that point editorial director uh -huh. uh, and you know, he's very nice and, and said some nice things about my drawings. And and he actually, he's looking at my stuff. He looks out in the doorway, says, hey, Neil, come here, come here. Take this kid over somewhere and, and give him some advice. Neil being Neil Adams. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, who, now this is 1968. So Neil Adams at that point, he like burst on right. the scene like supernova. <laughs> <laughs> and and was really like immediately a rock star. So, mm -hmm. you know, to have Neil Adams sit down with me in the first place was just awe inspiring. And he spent a whole hour with me 
just ripping my work to shreds, just telling me just how awful everything was. And I loved every second of it because to have Neil Adams tell you how bad your drawing is, is so much more satisfying than have your mother tell you how good it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went home. And I said, oh, I got to thank them for this. So I drew like about six or seven little cartoons about what it was like to visit the D.C. offices. And I sent them in as a thank you. And about three months later, I got a letter in, uh, by registered mail. Uh, I don't even know if that exists anymore. Um, from Dick Giordano saying that they had found my cartoons so delightful that they were going to publish them in several issues. And indeed, there was a two-page filler item that appeared in a number of titles, uh, G.I. Combat and Secret Six, and there's at least one other one, and I can't remember. Oh, Captain Action. Um, And, uh, uh, and, and in that letter was a check. He said, please find a check enclosed in the amount of $40. Congratulations, you are now a pro. <laughs> now, the odd thing is, I was a sophomore in high school at that point. Over the next few years, my interest just kind of drifted away from comics, really. Oh, wow. And I, I don't know exactly why. I think partially because, um, you know, I... I I loved anything that was printed mm-hmm. and I love books and I love comics and I love magazines. And, and, you know, whenever I'd visit a relative, I'd immediately go to their den and go through all their magazines because <laughs> they would have magazines that we didn't have. And, you know, this is a golden age in, in the sixties where, where magazines could be tabloid size. Right. Like, and, 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 uh, and it didn't matter to me that they were women's magazines. I opened a, a copy of McCall's and there's a two page illustration by Jack Davis. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's when I think I wanted to, I decided I wanted to be a magazine illustrator. <laughs> I didn't really know what that entailed. Uh, but by the time I finished college, <laughs> I knew that I wanted to draw pictures and that New York was the center of, of mm-hmm. the publishing industry. So that I had to come here. And I visited New York a few times in, in high school and, and fell in love with it. It was to me, the, the Emerald city. <laughs> and uh, really there's, there were no other options. I, I uh, my mom gave me her, well, she sold me her car for a dollar. And I drove it around the East Coast for uh, a few weeks after I finished my summer job in Ann Arbor. And I ended up in Brooklyn, stayed with my aunt and uncle there uh, for a few months. And I realized very quickly that I wasn't going to be a rich and famous artist anytime soon. Uh, So I took uh, a real job. But and I was looking for anything. Because basically, I didn't want to be beholden to my aunt and uncle any longer than I had to. I wanted to be able to rent my own apartment, hopefully in Manhattan, and and then start looking 
for for illustration work. Uh, I got a job. I mean, I was looking for anything. I, w- I was looking for typing jobs. I was looking for Guy Friday. I, I remember going to an agency. There was an ad in the New York Times, Gal Guy Friday wanted. And I went there and uh, the, the gal at the desk looked at me and said, oh, listen, honey, you just don't have the legs for this job. <laughs> they want a gal Friday, Guy I Friday see. only because they I had. See. Oh, okay, I get. It. I wasn't, uh, <laughs> wasn't registering on it. I was like, huh? <laughs> got it. <laughs> uh, but answering another ad in the Times, I got a job as a textile designer. Hmm. There's a com- the company that uh, made fabrics for children's clothing, and they had licenses from. Sesame Street and Holly Hobby and uh, Strawberry Shortcake. And they had a number of very, very good uh, uh, fabric designers, but they weren't really uh, drawers. They weren't cartoonists. And the ad specifically was looking for somebody who could draw cartoons. So I drew a bunch of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, brought them in. I got the job. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this was great. I now had a job. $175 $175 a week, which enabled me to rent a studio apartment in Greenwich Village for $245 a month. <laughs> and as I was on this job, I started looking for other uh, work. I mean, obviously, um, when I started showing my portfolio around, and, and there was, they used to publish a book called Artist Market. Yep, I remember that. And, <laughs> you know, you'd go in there and it'd say, uh, you know, so-and-so is the executive creative director, and they're looking for this and that. And, of course, these are the days when you brought a real portfolio door-to-door. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I learned all the tricks, you know, putting a thread over the zipper and so that you'd see when you picked it up, if the thread hadn't moved, you knew they didn't look at it at all. Mm. Um, uh, but sometimes I even got meetings with uh, it, real people. But the problem is the book tended to steer you towards the heads of the departments, and they were not necessarily the people who were actually buying the artwork. Mm. The creative director had art directors under him or her, and you know he'd look at my stuff, and 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 of course i had everything i'd ever done in college in there so he said well, what do you do i said i do all of it uh-huh. said, but what do you do because really certainly in those days illustration was a specialist market mm-hmm. um if if i had one or two caricatures in my book and then there were other things like you know straight drawings and paintings and mm-hmm. stuff yeah, these one or two caricatures were competing against Mort Drucker and Jack Davis and 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 David Levine, and uh, so uh, I realized I had to focus something in my portfolio, and I I did it. So I asked myself three questions: so What do you do best? What do you enjoy doing most? And what do you think you could make a living doing? And for me at that time, the answer to all three questions was caricature. So I built a portfolio of all caricature mm-hmm. and it got me work. Mm. Um, some of it was very cheap work. I did some uh, children's books that had nothing to do with caricature, but that's okay. Uh, one of the turning points, oddly enough, 
was as I was working at this uh, um, fabric company, a guy who had been hired as a temp befriended me. Turned out he had also worked as a temp at Marvel Comics. And he said, I want to hook you up with Marie Severn. I want her to see your stuff. Mm-hmm. And he did. And I, I met Marie Severn, who was extraordinarily nice. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm going to put you in touch with Paul Lakin, who is editing Crazy Magazine. Right. <laughs> and sometime after that, I got a call from Paul Lakin. He said, uh, when can you start? I said, whenever you want. I'm a freelance work, so. Um, and I never met him personally. But for about a year, year and a half, I did a lot of work for Crazy. It was all over the phone and mail. And then when I'd finished the job, I would deliver it to Harry Chester, who had an office, really, it was a closet in a building on Madison Avenue. Oh. And this, you know, I learned many years later, Harry Chester was like, famous yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and to me he was just this guy working out of a closet <laughs> uh, so i i managed to get some real world experience with with crazy um although wasn't what i was really doing i remember once i, I was talking to paul Aiken on the phone and i said you know you're giving me a lot of one pagers and two pagers and filler stuff and I said, I'd really love to do like a movie parody. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, I'm, I have to be blunt with you. You don't draw enough like Mort Drucker. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't about to start imitating Mort Drucker. I mean, my work, I felt was close enough to his ballpark already. And I was already, as things were starting to happen to me, getting these kind of offers to do Drucker or Davis knockoff stuff. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, look, you, I I mean, I, I, I entertained it at first. Eventually I had to learn to say, look, if you want Drucker or Davis, you you need to go to them. Yeah. (laughs) I'll give you the best Sam Viviano I can possibly give you, (laughs) but I'm not going to be giving you second rate Davis or Drucker. Um, and that was a very smart move. It took me a while to figure that out, but at any rate, so I was starting to get work while I was doing a textile job and it got to a point where I was working all day and then going home and working all night, (laughs) something had to give. I knew I didn't want to be a textile designer for the rest of my life. So I quit the job after a year and went into freelancing full time. Uh, so this was early 77 Mm. and 77 was a very lean year for me. I, my income dropped from a huge $9,000 a year, uh, as a textile designer down to something like $6,000 a year. Uh, I was eating a lot of tuna fish and peanut butter (laughs) here. Um, but you know, I did start to get work. And then the next year was my big year. 78 mm-hmm. was the year I started working for Scholastic. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned Dynamite and Bananas, but uh, at that time, and I, I may still be true, Scholastic published 
tons of magazines. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- those are just the ones I read. I mean, I know they had WoW, and I know they had, uh, oh, geez, I can't even remember all the other I'm things. talking about the education. And Scholastic Scope and, you know, <laughs> all sorts. Scholastic Scope. Scholastic yeah, yeah. Junior Scholastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, scholastic Math. And for years, I did work for all of them. Hmm. Yeah, they weren't huge paying venues, but they they liked what I did and they left me alone. I learned <laughs> while I was doing them and and I liked the people I was working with because most of the art directors I worked with were pretty young themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about 78. I was t- 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I really liked working for Scholastic. And then a little bit into the year. Uh, I got my first job for Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Now, Dynamite, unlike the other magazines, which are all produced entirely in-house, Dynamite was edited by editors at Scholastic, but it was put together by a, a guy named Greg Wozni, art director, who worked out of a separate studio. He was a freelancer. Mm. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Greg had taken an immediate like to my work, uh, and, and he did, it was the classic art director's thing. I had this portfolio full of all these torturously finished pieces of art. And he said, do you have a sketchbook? And I said, oh, I happen to have this little folder of, of photocopies of sketches I've done. And they were all caricatures, but they were very rough. And, and he said, I love this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I learned much later myself is that what an art director wants to see is, is your your native skill, mm-hmm. not not your 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 final rendering, but can you draw? Can you can you mm-hmm. think? Can you uh, compose? Uh, so I started doing work for Dynamite, and then a few months later, I started doing work for Bananas. Um, and some of the work was similar. I mean, it was almost all uh, caricature based in one way or another. Um, with bananas um now uh, you know i don't know if everybody who's watching this knows that the guy who created bananas and edited it it, its entire run uh was a guy from uh columbus ohio who grew up with one goal in mind was to edit a humor magazine and since matt already had an editor he got this job eventually at Scholastic and he pitched a humor magazine and uh, they said, okay. And he said, but okay, I want to have a, a, a funny name. So I'm going to go by jovial Bob Stein <laughs> and, and jovial Bob Stein uh, wrote half the magazine himself. <laughs> and the art director, Bob Feldgus had a really good eye um, he found lots of young illustrators who uh, uh, were hungry and and creative and inventive people like Lou Brooks and Doug Taylor and Elwood Smith. Um, you mentioned B.K. Taylor. He did comic strips for Bananas. Uh, Howard Cruz did strips oh, yeah. for Bananas. Um, uh, and it. it Bob Feldgus's motto was find the right guy for the job and then leave him alone. Mm-hmm. He was not 
a a an overbearing art director by any means, which made me love him. You know, so I, I was able to to do what I wanted, and I and and I you know I show them sketches. Basically, they say fine, finish it up. Mm. And I remember the the first movie I did for them. I'd done one at least one TV show beforehand, which was uh, Fantasy Island, which mm-hmm. is like two or three pager. And Bob Stein's approach to parody was basically not an intense investigation of the movie or TV show the way Mad would do. Yeah, it was more like just stupid jokes. And then blow the whole thing up in the last panel, and and uh, that's what he did with the Fantasy Island. And then the first movie I did was um, Alien, the oh, yeah. Ridley Spot, the first. Uh, and uh, you know, not knowing how to do this, I was like doing everything. I went to see the movie several times, uh, and I bought the book, uh, the graphic novel adaptation. That was uh, illustrated by uh, Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was so taken by his uh, his layouts that I tried to do a parody of his layouts mm. in my parody uh, of, of the movie. And and uh, and they were very excited about all this stuff. And, and I can't tell you how important it is to a young artist just getting going to have that kind of positive reinforcement, you know, because it makes you want to do more. It makes you want to do better. Uh, Greg Wozniak at Dynamite was the same way. He had given me an article about, I don't know, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, celebrities Christmas lists or something, Christmas mm. with. And he said, pick like five or six and draw, draw caricatures. Them. And I would draw everybody mentioned in the article. And I have a two page spread with 30 people. And he, I bring it in. You go, holy smokes! <laughs> and you know, I think he realized I wasn't I getting paid. Remember all this? That. Yeah, I remember all this. Yes. Yeah, but it didn't matter to me. <laughs> it didn't matter to me because I loved doing it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it got me into a rut later on because I kind of got a reputation for doing crowd scenes, uh-huh. and you know, at some point I realized that there were people getting the same amount of money I was getting for doing an illustration of one person that i was getting for doing 50 people right. <laughs> uh so it wasn't cost effective mm-hmm. uh anyhow so i i worked for both bananas and dynamite until each of them bit the dust mm-hmm. uh bananas went first sometime in the mid 80s yeah it was like 84 something like that yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh i think scholastic had decided that they weren't it wasn't bringing enough income. Uh, Bob Stein. And by the way, once again, I never finished that part of the story. No. <laughs> you know, yes, you know that jovial Bob Stein. Well, you know, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. All right. <laughs> I Bob won't forget. Because <laughs> actually there, there's a middle part, which is he pitched a much cheaper magazine called Maniac, mm-hmm. which was mostly black and white. And I think maybe fewer pages and cut cost in a lot of ways. Uh, but I still did movie parodies for them. Most of them were black and white. Uh, I did Splash and Supergirl. The one color one I did for them was um, uh, Gremlins. Mm. Uh, and uh, 
that lasted, I think, a year, six issues. Yeah, those like are hard that. to find. I think I only have one of them. Uh, I have yeah. a friend who has all of them, and he's like gloats. He goes, I got all six or whatever they were. And it's like, well, good for you. <laughs> yeah, it really was essentially the same magazine as Bananas, just, yeah. you know, a little bit yeah. lower rent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when that ended, because I, I think Scholastic said, nah, there's not going to. Bob Stein, Jovial Bob Stein's now out of a job. Mm-hmm. Because there's no magazine to to edit. And somebody came up with the idea. I don't know if it was Bob himself. I don't know if it's his wife Jane, who was a, a book packager. Mm-hmm. It might have been somebody at Scholastic said, you know, you write these funny little horror stories in the back of bananas. Mm-hmm. We could make like a collection of them. Mm-hmm. And he said, Okay, I enjoy writing those horror stories. Uh and I could do it, except I don't want to write horror stories as as jovial Bob Stein. <laughs> Maybe I'll use my initials. And jovial Bob Stein became R.L. Stein, who for a number of years, a good number of years, was the most widely read author in the English language, writing Goosebumps and Fear Street. Uh, and he's still doing it. Mm-hmm. He's still doing it these days. Um, you know, Bob Stein is my I knew him when story. I knew him when he was working out of a little <laughs> cubicle at Scholastic magazines, and now, of course, he's a very wealthy man, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so and then a, a, a year or two after that, I guess Dynamite was killed as well. And the thing I did for Dynamite for many many years like 15 years was a feature they had in every issue called and now a word from our sponsor and it would be a one-page commercial uh parody um a lot of them were written by bob stein um a lot of them were written by other editors of of, uh uh dynamite like uh, chip lovett and uh oh there are a few others that wrote them um (laughs) And the original, I was not the first artist for that. First artist for that was Sandy Huffaker, yep, who I, whose work I loved. Yes. <laughs> and um, uh, but he decided he wanted to go in another direction. He gave it up, and they came offered it to me, and so I I, mm-hmm. I loved it. And and uh, you know it, it. What I loved about it was I could do a one-page continuity, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to worry. I, I'm not the kind of guy who wants to do a whole graphic novel where it's page after page after page after page of the same characters and the same people, especially if it's caricature, if it's likeness. I can work on a single page. I can make it goofy as I want. Uh, A lot of times I would throw in real people. My dad showed up in several of them (laughs) and my wife is in a number of them. Um, uh, And... uh, yeah, I, I kind of revisited them in the last few years. And I said, boy, I really did have a good time. I could just see in my work that I had a great time doing them. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, in some ways, although I did lots of stuff for Dynamite, uh, that's the thing that sticks in my head as my calling card for the magazine. Right. Because it was a, an actual feature. Yeah. And that um, was one of my favorite features. That and Bummers was the other. <laughs> but Jared, Jared, was, Lee, uh, Jared Lee, right? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. 
those are just con contributions for the most part. You know, people would send them in. I think he got five bucks for it. Whoopee. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? very interesting guy. Uh -huh. I met him on a couple of occasions, but not often because he lived in Ohio somewhere, I think. Hmm. Um, and he came across as this kind of rube and he was kind of long and gangly and had a, a bangs, you know, uh -huh. kind of like Mo of the Three mm -hmm. Stooges. And uh, uh, although sort of a mullet type thing, uh, and and I mean, he's very friendly, but he, he, you thought, oh, God, this guy's like a real hick. But it turned out he was one of the smartest artists mm -hmm. in the business. Yeah. I mean, he he really understood finding work, getting work, monetizing the work he did. Uh, and and, you know, it's one of those things I realized afterwards is that here's a guy who you know don't don't read a don't be fooled by a book's cover you know <laughs> that being based in the midwest and 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 coming across as a nice midwestern guy doesn't mean that he's not really a very very smart businessman and he <laughs> was yeah um so anyhow so i i uh continued by the way working for dynamite and bananas and for that matter scholastic well long after i started working for mad yeah i figured uh, mad I was re reading all that stuff i mean i'd see in paperbacks and stuff like that you did a lot of stuff for scholastic it wasn't just the magazines yeah, you know, yeah i did a lot of books and things books. like that yeah <laughs> bob stein once came up with a series called space cadets Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea was it was uh, a school for budding astronauts <laughs> some, set somewhere in the future. And it was really a very goofy, uh, uh, you know, it was a jovial Bob Stein book. And the characters were all real stereotypes. There was the, uh, the handsome hunk. There was the, mm -hmm. the fat slob who never stopped eating. There was the cute girl. There was the mean girl. There was the robot. And, mm -hmm. and they got into various kinds of uh, uh, scrapes and stuff. And I did the covers. I think there are only three of them. Mm. And I, I thought this is going to be my ticket to riches because <laughs> this is such a smart series. It's funny. I think it was after Bob did, had started Goosebumps and it was already successful. Mm -hmm. that is going to be great and it just tanked it wow. just tanked hmm. and i mean i still think it's a great series a great premise and i do see bob stein from time to time and i'm always saying you should try and uh and, and <laughs> you know reboot space cadet uh but he's a little bit busy with all that horror stuff yeah you know <laughs> they make movies and TV shows and mm -hmm. stuff. Now, before we go into Mad, because we will talk about Mad, right. I've been writing down little questions along the way because it's like, so we're going to jump back. And, you know, the first one that caught my ear was you said, I got paid $40 for this thing for DC Comics. Yeah. What what did that look like? Did it look like your later art or was it, it was it caricature no. or what was it? What was no, published? It it was very cartoony and it was uh -huh. very much a 15 year olds cartoony. <laughs> um, was it a single panel gags or is it a, a strip? Or yeah, well, 
just I sent them as like six or seven individual cartoons. Okay. Oh, okay. Maybe drew this big. Yeah. And uh, they printed them. Uh, so it must have been six. Mm-hmm. Maybe they dropped one of them because a two-page spread with a little introductory panel on the top left and a little outro panel on the top in the bottom right. Okay. And so one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I don't <laughs> have a copy of it anywhere. Okay. Um, but you said it was like in the 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 um uh, the army magazine or something. The GI, GI combat. Com- yeah. Okay. Secret Six and yeah. Captain Action. Okay, so, I'll have to know, look up stuff like that. Okay. Now, can, now did you sign been... it? Can it? Can I tell it's your work, or you know, does it look totally different? Well, it's got my name all over. Oh, okay, it. good. You okay. Know, Viviano came okay. to DC comic. Okay. Uh, one of the interesting things was uh, uh, the first the the premise of this thing was that. You know, I'm, I'm just in utter awe. In the first panel, I'm standing in front of these gigantic glass doors, like the entry <laughs> to heaven or something. And now, where, where was D.C. at the time? Because I know it was later. Five Lexington Avenue. Okay. All right. Uh, what about 53rd Street, I guess? Okay. Um, and they had been there for a number of years. I mean, I just know the Broadway time. one, and that's much later. Oh, that's much, much, yeah, much yeah. <laughs> This is 1968, and I know between that, yeah. they'd been third avenue like i think 919 third avenue okay and then were, yeah i kind of vaguely remember that now that you're mentioning that. then they were at some point they were uh 51 rockefeller center i think mm-hmm. and then they were at 666 fifth avenue <laughs> they moved to 1700 broadway around 1995 yeah um and mad moved to that same address that same yeah. year yeah so we'll get yeah. to that in the bad yeah, years yeah. <laughs> um, um so um at that point and then shortly after that i mean you were develop. were you developing your own style and caricatures then or was that years later because i kind of lost track of where you got into the caricatures more well i had started drawing caricatures sometime in high school um you know i was the the paper and pencil version of the class clown uh yeah i would draw little comic strips goofing on various teachers uh or i do just cartoon drawings so you know as i went to an all-boys catholic high school that was taught for the most part by christian brothers so (laughs) You know, uh, there was a lot of fodder there for caricature. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I continued doing more of that in college. Um, I remember that, uh, as I said, you know, there was no cartooning or, or illustration classes at the University of Michigan School of Art. But I did have one or two professors who knew that's what I liked to do and encouraged it. And I, I remember in lithography class, I did a very large image that was a, a, a takeoff on uh, the creation of Adam by Michelangelo, except God was our professor, Paul Stewart, 
and he was borne aloft by the various TAs, and I, I, I don't remember the rest of it, but you know, I was, I was at that point, I was really starting to, and style, there were no style at all, yeah. Um, and as I sort of referenced earlier, I never ever made a conscious effort to imitate another caricaturist right. style. Right. Uh, Drucker or Davis or, or David Levine or Sandy Huffaker or, yeah, yeah. or Hirschfeld. <laughs> um, it was just, I started to want to draw funny pictures of real people. Do, uh, do you know your first celebrity caricature? Published? Published or, or drawn, either. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, were you taken by like W.C. Fields or something? And you said, hey, I'll draw him because I know you have at some point. Yeah, I've drawn W.C. Fields, but um, you know, not that's... back then. Maybe, maybe the Marx Brothers. I don't okay. know. Okay. I, I know. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I remember, <laughs> I, I remember um, uh, when I was like about 14 that I would draw watching TV hmm. and uh, it was somewhere around then that Hal Holbrook did a televised version of his one man show, Mark Twain Tonight. Right. <laughs> and I remember watching on TV and drawing and partially because I was drawing fast. And I had to. The drawings came out kind of funny. <laughs> Another time there was a television production of a play called Barefoot in Athens in which Peter Ustinov played uh 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 aristotle mm -hmm. no socrates socrates yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> um and uh i i would draw from the tv <laughs> um, and i i think that even when i tried to do realistic portraits they tended to be funny and i actually have a story about that okay <laughs> the the year after I went to New York for the first time, I went back again. This, so this would have been, I was 16 now, 1969. And this time I met with Dick Giordano. Mm -hmm. um, and Dick Giordano was looking and my all I had was superhero stuff, you know, Batman drawings. And, and I created my own character, the blue flame. And, and he's looking at it. <coughs> And he looks at me and says, you should draw funny because you draw funny. <laughs> and I think he had a point there. And I didn't realize it at the time is that the real me in terms of an artistic persona was a comedian, mm -hmm. was someone who drew funny. And the closest corollary I, I can make there is Jack Davis that no matter what Jack Davis ever drew because he drew horror stories and war stories and books illustrating the life of Abraham Lincoln and yeah. yet they all have that Jack Davis right draw funny yeah I think thing. the Lincoln one you mentioned is probably the closest to being really serious but even then it's like it has that Davis yeah. look <laughs> you know? yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so, you know, and I mentioned that when I decided that I wanted to put together a portfolio of only caricature, mm -hmm. 
I didn't have that much stuff on hand. So I had to do a lot of things. I do remember, and, and somewhere I have that drawing here, um, doing Giancarlo Giannini, the star of the Lena Vertmuller <laughs> films, uh, Seven Beauties. And, wow. and yeah, why? I don't know. I found a nice <laughs> photograph. Uh, and, uh, you know, in terms of professionally, by the time, a lot of what I did for crazy was cartoon work, not caricature work, but a little more and more, I started doing more caricatures. Although actually I think the very, might've been the first thing I did for them, the two page spread. And it was, um, a do it yourself comedy monologue. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember how much direction I was given by Paul Lakin. I have a feeling he probably said, make it henny youngman yeah i remember that okay. and he's so off did, to the right and all these other the people audience, in the audience yeah the whole audience is comedians yeah yeah <laughs> you know so uh so i was doing caricature right off the bat yeah professionally and even i mean even before that i mm-hmm. one of the jobs i had the year i worked as a textile designer was doing caricatures on blank christmas cards at bloomingdale's mm. so and i had done that sort of thing you know uh supermarket caricatures and party caricatures uh i'm glad i got out of that stuff because that's hard <laughs> hard work. Uh, and i have some friends who are very very good at it. tom richmond of course had a yeah. long career doing it uh uh and and ed steckley who's mm-hmm. a master of it mm-hmm. um but uh I I only enjoyed it in as much as I always enjoy making pictures, but, you know, I would work like three hours or more and I'd be exhausted mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it's just constant concentration yeah. and a line of people waiting. So you couldn't take a break. Yeah. So anyhow, so the caricature stuff, somehow developed somewhere and in terms of a style i think that's more for other people to say than for myself well then i'll tell you (laughs) yeah i mean well we'll go back to davis for a second just to say you know it's like davis you can't always notice like the shoes the shoes are always kind of disheveled and bent and stuff like that and he has kind of gangly characters right. not all the time but you know in generally you know, and, and uh well, well i know what you're gonna say what jowls what what you draw yeah well what you draw that i noticed right away is teeth you know especially if it you know <laughs> and, you know like if you were drawing like a caricature of somebody that had big teeth like jimmy carter Donny Osmond, whatever, you know, it's like prominent teeth, you know, everybody had perfectly straight teeth, you know, and everything. And that's what I noticed, you know, it's like, it was like the signature of how you drew. And so in my mind, I go, Oh, you know, now you had your name printed, but still it's like, oh, that's that artist I like. You know, there's always a few artists. Yeah, there's a few artists in Crazy that I really liked. You were one of them. And, uh, you know, I can't think of all the other. Vic Martin was one and, you know, and Bob Larkin, of course, did the covers, you know. So you had some good people there, Um, you know. You know, and there was a few crummier artists. We won't name those, but you know, it's like, uh, it, you know, I enjoyed Crazy for what it was at the time, you know. And so, 
And then when you graduated to bananas and uh, dynamite and all the scholastic stuff, I, I assume you weren't doing those all at the same time, crazy and you had left Marvel to do, or did you overlap uh, a little bit? I, I, the, there may or may not have been a small overlap between yeah. Crazy and and uh, uh, and Scholastic. Crazy started in '76, I believe. Uh, well, I mean, your your contribution early '70s. No, '73 when Crazy started. It actually no, was, not me. Yeah. Oh, yo, oh, yeah, yeah. I meant the magazine yeah. itself, not you. Yeah. 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 Uh, my okay. my Got work it. in Crazy. Got it. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and I know that I started in Scholastic in mid seventy eight, so it's very possible that there was no overlap. Right. Okay. And then one thing I noticed w once you got over to oh, I should say this if you don't know is like so the reason you never saw Paul Lakin is he worked out of his house. I know on, that. Oh, on yeah. every, okay, you knew that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because he did that for crazy. He did that for cracked. He did that for wacko. Anything he ever did, he always worked out of his house. He never, you know, because he was a single parent and everything. And so, you know, he was a great guy. I interviewed him once before, you know. And, yeah, no, no. I, he was he was doing remote work before yeah. it was uh, popular. Yeah. He anticipated the pandemic by uh, <laughs> 45 years. <laughs> He'd probably get a kick out of that if he heard. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see. Now, I one thing, and a couple of occasions. <laughs> now, one thing I noticed when you did get over to Scholastic, and you can tell me if this is accurate, it seemed like you switched over from just pen and ink to doing painting of those articles. Is that correct, or is it just a good colorist? Um, well, it was color. Um, okay. and and. You know that was that was the that was the great unloosening because their work was in color. Mm -hmm. um, I got to work on the very first job I did for Dynamite. Um, it was a a one pager, and I did three caricatures. I think it was Debbie Reynolds and and uh, Ray Charles. I don't remember the other one. And I did all of them in colored pencil, Prismacolors on colored map board. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it was so time consuming and labor intensive. I could never do a bigger job than that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I switched over to pen and ink and, and Dr. Martin's dyes. Now, remember I told you I'd worked as a textile Mm -hmm. uh designer that's where i discovered dr martin's dies ah, because okay. that was a regular part of of their toolbox in the the design department mm -hmm. uh they would do the designs in in dr martin's dies on waxed rice paper mm -hmm. uh using mechanical pens for line work so that's also where i learned to use mechanical pens which i used for lettering for years and years mm -hmm. and years um Although everybody who ever used them talks only about how they clogged up all the time. Um, <laughs> so when I started working for Dynamite and then Bananas and, and other Scholastic, some of the Scholastic stuff was in black and white or two color. Right. And I, I would use Ruby Lith overlays and, and Amber Lith overlays for the two color work. Um, and I used Zipatone. I mean, back in the old days where he had all kinds of, of uh tricks up your sleeve right <laughs> uh, 
so I decided to start doing the work pen and ink and, all, and also well, pen and ink and Dr. Martin's dyes. And I didn't like the black ink. It felt too heavy, particularly mm. when I was doing the color work. So I started using sepia ink. Hmm. Yeah. And and to this day, that is really my basic toolbox, sepia ink line and uh, Dr. Martin's dyes for colors. And God help me that uh, <laughs> they're harder and harder to find. Yeah. I've had to buy the last uh, set from directly from Dr. Martin, hmm. believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> now, so, um, let's see. Um, was your first, this is the one keeps popping in my mind, and I, I don't know if it is. Was your first cover for Dynamite, was that the one with the Beatles and the Bee Gees? Or oh, yeah. Was that the first one? That was in, in 1978. Okay. Was that your first cover ever, or did you do anything prior to that on a magazine? Well, I'd done a cover for uh, an orientation book at the University of Michigan. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, once you became a pro. <laughs> a pro cover. Um, was that the first? I did, I did uh, some children's books. Okay. I do have them here. Hold on. All right. <laughs> I'm making you... <laughs> making me work <laughs> these these go back to probably 77 okay uh the world's what? first police detective oh i've never seen that one okay and uh the first american circus ever huh no, so I didn't see those either <laughs> wow okay. yeah and so these these uh uh those are my covers you know are those through scholastic as well or is those no Okay. This is a company called, uh, hold on, Contemporary Perspectives Incorporated. Okay. And, I mean, I did a lot of illustrations for them. And you yep. can see, they're not funny. I mean, not right. intentionally. Well, it's like uh, the Jack Davis Lincoln. Yeah. You, you know, as and, and I'm actually I'm very proud of the last drawing I did for this. This is the, the guy who created the circus. Hmm. Uh and I thought, this is a nice illustration. Uh, but what did I know? At any rate, um, as for magazines, probably. I mean, my first mad job. Well, I know the mad one. Cover. It's it's the uh, J.R. Ewing cover. Right. On that and that, one. well, that appeared in 1981. I did it in 1980. Yeah. Um, now, let me but, ask you uh, this about that. Is like, you, you, you said... I, I read this. It's on Wikipedia. I always say that's the bastion of accuracy. So who knows um, that you got really nervous and you drew it with six fingers. First of all, I thought that was intentional. And second of all, Matt had used the six finger uh, hand before on other things. So I figured you're just falling in line with that. But it, was that really a mistake? <laughs> no, you, okay. you're actually um, eliding two different sentences into mm. one thought. OK, <laughs> uh, I was extremely nervous, yep. realizing that at 27 years old, mm -hmm. getting a call from Al Feldstein saying, do you want to do a cover? Mm -hmm. And I'd never done anything for Mad prior to that. Right. <laughs> um, so I was extremely nervous and I didn't really know how to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the. The six finger thing, let's get that out of the way. That okay. was Feldstein's idea. Uh -huh. He gave me a little yellow piece of paper 
with a, a scrawl on it with a circle and a hat, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of stick figure hat, uh, and a hand with a gun and the and and coming out of the other ear a flag. And he said, "Give the hand six fingers." Now I didn't know enough about Matt at that time to mm-hmm. know that was a mad trope. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard of. <laughs> well, it is stupid, but it was a trope, yes. <laughs> yeah, and and you know the proof of the pudding is they got tons of letters when it appeared, calling them out on the six-fingered hand. So that was not a mistake. That was deliberate. But mm. I was extraordinarily nervous about doing this cover, okay. and you know I I knew and I the work I did for for bananas and 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 dynamite i did twice up i knew mad's work was done twice up so i did this cover twice up but remember it's a big head right (laughs) and i'm painting and painting the hat felt like it took me forever (laughs) gigantic 10 gallon hat i wasn't happy with the results Mm -hmm. so i did the whole thing over again at one and a half times up. Now the problem with that one was a little easier to draw the the JR head, but then I had to draw this teeny tiny Alfred head on the flag. <laughs> now I didn't know that I could do them as two separate pieces of art and they could composite them together in the negative. <laughs> they didn't know that kind of stuff. So uh, you know, live and learn. Yeah. Um, For those wanting to know, yeah, I'll yeah. say it is Mad Two Twenty Three June Eighty One uh, is the is the actual issue. <laughs> I actually, well, here let me tell you this story because it's one of my favorite stories. Okay. Okay, so I delivered, I delivered this artwork, and and I got the job the day after Thanksgiving in 1981 and delivered it two weeks later mm-hmm. so it was delivered before christmas of 1980 and it appeared in the june 1981 issue right. which of course came out in march yeah something like that yeah. <laughs> um now nick meglin uh, do i have to t- say who nick meglin was i don't think so but okay nick meglin <laughs> who had been an editor of mad pretty much from the beginning um, and later, after Feldstein retired, ascended to the co-editorship. Uh, Nick Meglin knew that I had done this other one. Because I, I think I told him, I said, yeah, I was so nervous, I did it twice. Mm-hmm. And every time I would come to the office after that, like to deliver a job or pick up a job, he'd say, what about that art? I said, well, he said, if you ever sell that art, I want you to give me the first chance you know first refusal on it yeah yeah okay okay sure you mean so, you mean the unpublished cover the, the unpublished the, the first version okay. the, <laughs> because the the one that was published yeah. was owned by matt right they got everything you know and that that was true until the day that bill gaines died in 1992 right mad kept everything and you know he later sold it all um at auction and shared the the uh, profits with the artists mm-hmm. but uh you know the artist had no control it, well, after bill died the first decision nick and john Ficara made was to return art to the mm-hmm. artist 
Um, Nick felt very strongly about that, but he couldn't argue with, with Gaines. Yeah. So Nick knew that there was this other version of that cover and he he hounded me literally for years you know and I says, yeah 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 so one day i figured enough is enough now i'm still freelancing at this time and i come in i said nick here i want you to have this and he looks at it and he says i'll take it on one condition this is a loan not a gift because this is important this belongs to your legacy. This is something that you should be passing down to your children, your grandchildren. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, at that point in my life, I had no children. I had no grandchildren. I didn't have a wife. So it, yeah, it, none of that meant anything to me. I was happy that Nick wanted it and I gave it to him. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to January of 1999, when I'm starting my new job as art director at MAD. And I'm setting up my new office, you know, putting things here and there. Nick shows up in the doorway. And in his hands is this drawing framed. He says, this belongs to you. (laughs) And that was in my office at MAD for the entire 19 years I was art director. Cool. Not because it's such a great piece of art. Yeah. But because Nick gave it back to me. Right. I think I've seen a photo of that, but I had no idea it was a different version of it. I thought it was the same. You know, but you never see it close up. It's like a picture of you in the room and it's just in the background somewhere, you know. So it's like yeah. Compared it to what actually appeared on the magazine, the biggest difference would be the Alfred. Okay, I'll have to look at that. Because the Alfred of what appeared was really kind of crappy. Now, where Uh, is that picture now? Is it here in your home? I'm looking for it. Oh, okay. It's it's still in the mad office. (laughs) It went to to Burbank. No. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? I would be, I end up taking the whole place apart. You you don't have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, as long as you say it looks similar, because I thought I had seen it in other photographs of you, so it's like... Yeah. I I posted for about a year and a half on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Yeah. And when I, my posts are all just artwork, uh-huh. usually my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was this old stuff, and I tried to tell the stories behind it, so... The story I just told you, I actually have put up okay. on social media. But it, it, over a course of, I think, several days, I put my original, the the uh, redone version, and the, the actual printed cover. I think I even put up my original pencil sketch. Yeah. So if you, if you search me out on Instagram or Facebook, because it's Sam Viviano Illustrator, you can find those and, you know, maybe hear more detail to the story than I just told you. Now you said you didn't have the rights, at least till Gaines died to your art and mad. Uh, What was the story at crazy and also bananas and dynamite? Uh, Did you have rights to those pieces or I always got my artwork back. Uh Um, I, uh, 
the crazy stuff is deep in storage somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying to pull it out. No. <laughs> hold on. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Well, uh, hold on. Hold on. Oh, where, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh, here we go. Hey, something from crazy. Wow. <laughs> this is a piece I did for crazy. Uh, it was a parody of the magazine House Beautiful. I remember that. Yeah, and it had a like text over it to make it look. Yeah, like well, it yeah, had yeah. to have yeah. titles. Oh, okay, and and it was in black and white. Right. But then I colored the art because this shack mm -hmm. features my mother and my stepfather, mm. and there's me uh, <laughs> looking next door. Uh, -huh. uh so i uh i gave this to them and they had it framed in their apartment until the the day my mother died oh well so, huh. which was about five six years ago that's cool so yeah <laughs> so i you know, uh i knew i had one crazy because <laughs> the other stuff was deep in in, yeah. in storage now uh, I, I i'm assuming the crazy stuff is owned by Marvel, so you wouldn't have the ability to reprint any of that stuff, right? Or you don't know? Yeah, I don't know about the... Uh, yeah, well, you know, back in those days, that's that's when they, they had a little scam where they give you a check and on the back was stamped. Right, right. For hire. Yeah. Um, the... You know, I don't know, to be very honest, if Marvel... If I did a book of the history of my artwork and i put a few examples from crazy i don't know that marvel would come and hunt yeah. me down right uh well they don't seem too concerned about non-superhero stuff because they did a crazy anthology about three years ago but it was all the superhero material as a paperback trade paperback yeah. so you know i don't think they're concerned too much about the parodies and everything so well yeah you know and that's the other thing is i mean as 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 uh, I think George Kaufman once said satire is something that closes on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you're going to do a, I mean, Mad's gotten away with it for years, reprinting yeah. stuff from decades back. Right. That, that, and you now, wonder, yes. <laughs> yeah. Especially now. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, then on the, the scholastic stuff, like I would love, but I know this would never happen. Um, they did put out a Bananas Looks at TV, and most of the stuff is your material. I have that paperback, and I cherish That was back when we were yeah. doing it. Yeah, and it's like, That's you know, but uh, since I said in uh, now a word from our sponsor was one of my favorite features, I would love just a book of all of those, you know, <laughs> reprinted, but you probably have no say-so over that one way or the other, I'm sure. Well, I would too. I mean, I don't know that I, I personally have the energy to, to fight with anybody about doing it. Yeah. Uh, I I can't <clears throat> imagine that if you know, let's say if I was going to publish it independently. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely go to Scholastic, and but I don't know why they would stop me. They might want a piece. Would be of great it. if they published it since they're a yeah. publisher <laughs> you know but i don't yeah. think scholastic would see uh enough financial value yeah a book like that you know yeah. you would buy it and maybe <laughs> three other people 
Yeah. Uh, and then I'd have a box here in my studio. Yeah. That's what's frustrating about stuff like this. It's like, you know, but like I said, you know, at least they did that Bananas Looks a TV book way back when. And so, you know, I still have it. And it's like, you know, they'll never reprint this. So I, I glom onto it. I still have all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I have a lot of fond memories of those. Uh, and actually some interesting um, uh, memories adjacent, like, Mm -hmm. uh one of the parodies was taxi and mm -hmm. uh, i think we call it hey taxi or something yeah, like that something like that yeah <laughs> and uh i think bob stein and bob felgus are both make an appearance in that parody uh <laughs> i think there's a scene where tony danza is coming in he his cab broke down so he's carrying the passenger around on his shoulders and mm -hmm. i think the passenger was bob felgus uh the uh the art director and Bob was a, and still is a really interesting looking guy because he's he's <laughs> got a big walrus mustache and yeah. and uh, round glasses. Yeah. Terrific guy too. Um, but when that issue came out, Judd Hirsch was appearing on Broadway in a play called Tally's Folly, uh, which is a play I loved. And in fact, I went to see it at least twice. And uh, my memory is that I, I waited at the stage door, I guess, after the show, and I had a copy of this, and I didn't have him sign it. I just gave it to him. And he says, great, my, my nephew is, is the right age for this. <laughs> So I, I got I got to meet Judd Hirsch and give him a copy of Bananas. Cool. <laughs> now on, on you know I keep asking questions non mad, but I will get back to mad in a second because I have a mad question. But um, well, I only worked for mad for forty on, years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, uh, Scholastic and uh, Marvel, did you work freelance out of your home, or did you come in the office for either of those? Uh, I don't believe. No, I think I went once to the Marvel offices. But no, it's all freelance. Okay, that's uh, all his kind. Of Marvel, I would go to the offices and pick up the job, and I would go to the offices and deliver mm -hmm. the, uh, the the pieces. But uh, as I said earlier, with with crazy, that with one exception, I think that's the only thing I ever did for Marvel. Um, with crazy, I got a call from Lakin. He'd mail me the script. And I do the art and deliver it to Harry Chester. Mm. Um, and the, except the other one I mentioned was they did a magazine they did called Blip. Pizzazz. Oh, yeah, Blip, too. Did you do anything they for didn't do Pizzazz? That was, that was Consumer Electronics. No, Marvel did Pizzazz. It was like their knockoff on Dynamite. But I don't know if your work ever... Oh, appeared. no, I didn't do that. I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of something else, which is yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A, a consumer electronics for kids. Yeah. But there was a, a magazine called Blip that was yeah. a kind of video games. Yeah, and it was comic book size. Cover yeah, for that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think I remember that. that. I remember it had Eddie Murphy and the shark from Jaws. Yeah. I don't know, playing video games. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and thank you, Sam Viviano, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 212 will be coming soon with part two of this interview. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. 
If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Mutant sex monsters rise up.